Hope that you are enjoying the 40 days booklet. Remember, today was easy. All you have to do is, well, nobody's going to check this, but you know, you fill in blanks, like a couple of songs we sang today and what was our scripture reading. That's kind of fill in the blanks. So if, you're, if you have them with you, if you go back home, be sure to know what to put on those just, just to make you feel like you did something today. It was a light day today because it's Sunday and we're together, but I, I really want to put a stress on this when faith is tested, ladies day event, November 9th. It's coming up faster than I really thought. And, and I'm, I'm, I may have to dress up like a woman and come to this to hear this. Maybe I'll just record something in the background where Paul is and, and be part of this. This sounds excellent. Do not miss this. And, and men, let's be on hand like we were last year. I don't know yet what the meal preparation is, but we really want to, we would love to be able to do like a pork steak and baked potato or something, you know, something to really feed you ladies, you know. But if you want your dainty salads, you can have that too. I mean, you can do whatever you want. But anyway, men, be on hand, and let's really serve these ladies and let them do what they need to do, and we can serve them in a, in a great thing. So that's November 9th. Don't forget that. Also, uh, so graciously, the Young Professionals Group, I went to them on behalf of the singles and doubles and said, the singles and doubles are really the young professionals. Y'all are no longer young professionals. You're middle-aged now. So we want your name. And you know what they did? They were so gracious. They went into some deliberations for a while, and, and they found a new name for themselves. So now what used to be called singles and doubles, they're the young professionals. What used to be called young professionals are Gen Y. Gen Y, that's the name of this group. Uh, why? Because at all as Casey was growing up, her mom was saying, why, Lord, why me? Anyway, uh, and so she thought everybody in her generation was like that. So Gen Y is young professionals of yesterday, and the singles and doubles are being retired. They'll be called Young Professionals. And they're going to meet Tuesday at Tony and Karen's house. I think it's six. Is that right? So they're meeting there. That's Young Professionals. are meeting there with a service project thing in mind. So uh, that's Tuesday at six. I just, I, I just think uh, it shows some incredible love and compassion of the Gen Y for the Young Professionals. I'm grateful for that. Um, we forgot to say this last week. Doris... Um, Nichols placed membership last Sunday. You, uh, she usually comes to early service. She did again today. Uh, but she's been with us for a while, but she's never actually identified herself here. And so we want to acknowledge that. And also, Bonnie Derryberry, where are you? Would you raise your hand or stand up if you would? Yeah. And, and Starlet is her granddaughter who's with her. She is, they are placing membership today here as well. She's good right there. We can see her. She's telling you something. But anyway, we're grateful to have them with us and, and glad to call them members. If you'll say amen to me, with, with me to that, we're grateful for that. Um, Shirley, is this your birthday? Uh, I'm sorry, the birthday anniversary. Uh, Gary is very particular with things. It's not her birth date. Her birth date was when she was born. This is the anniversary of her birthday. Gary's just that way. <laughs> Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Anyway, she's got a birthday, Dallas, 90 the other day, uh, and we want to recognize he had to go home in between class and here, uh, but we got some people that really mean a lot to us. Be sure to, to wish them a happy birthday. They're, they're important to us. We are in Matthew chapter 26, if you'll make way to Matthew chapter 26. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. 
Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. We're picking up a story. Matthew chapter 26, we had just dealt with a couple weeks of what's that day going to be like, that end of time going to be like. And Jesus has dwelt on that for a couple of chapters. And now it says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 1, when Jesus had finished these sayings, this is his last teaching section. In the book of Matthew, he's got five of them, and he's just wrapped them up. Jesus says, I'm done teaching, now let me go do. And what I love about Jesus is he's both, and he commands both of us. I want you to worship. I want you to study Scripture. I want you to pray. But then I also want you to get up from that, and I want you to do. I want you to live. And I love that about Jesus, and that's what he does. He goes from teaching them in a very intimate setting to going into the, the, the uh, events that lead to the cross. This past week, I went to see someone at uh, St. Bernard's. They've been there for three or four weeks with their newborn. It was premature. He was premature and has been there at the NICU since birth and will be there for two or three more weeks. I didn't realize this, this woman was there. She's a Kennett girl, grew up in Kennett, was part of our youth group, went to Harding. She got married. Obviously, her name changed, and I just kind of just had no idea that's who it was. I figured out who it was because one of our members told me that she's up there. <laughs> so I go up there and I said, uh, How? I had no idea you were up there. She said, well, how'd you find out? And I said, Rhonda Reed. Is Rhonda here? Is Rhonda, Rhonda would you? she may not be here. Okay, so she's a nurse at NIC, in the NICU up there. And she told him, I said, Rhonda told me. She said, oh, let me tell you, she is like our second mother. She has been great for us. She has taken on some shifts here just to help us when she wouldn't normally have to work. That's kind of an amazing thing. And then she said, and there are others up there too, I understand. I said, well, I know there's, we've got Dana Land. She said, oh yeah, she's great. She's been super for us. And, and then Melanie is another one that's been up there. And I'm just like bursting at the seams. And here's why. I love the fact that I see you on Sunday mornings. You're maybe in Bible class or in your worship and stuff, but what I really like to know is that you're just as real out there as you are here. You're taking your faith as seriously there as here. And I go there and I hear them boast about how helpful that, that these, these Valley View folks are on their work scene, where they are in their lives. And that's what I, Jesus does the same thing. He does his time in, in preaching. He does his time in teaching. He does his time in prayer. But then he goes and he lives it. And we at Valley View got to remember that. We're not just the light on the hill. We're the light from the hill that goes down into where we live, and we still let it shine. And I love that. So I was really proud of Valley View this week. Got to boast all week long about hearing that. Went to see them on Tuesday. Just been talking all week long. Look at that. That's an amazing thing for Valley View. A second thing you see about Jesus here is that he's just gotten done preaching on that last day. He says, I want to paint you a, a clear picture of how God has got, got in charge of history. He's leading it to a certain But then in this chapter, notice verse 1. He says, when he'd finished these sayings, he looked at his disciples and he said, you know, after two days the Passover is coming, the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. I'm not just in charge of that day. I'm in charge of every day. I'm not just going to clarify for you the time. I want you to know I've even gotten my hands the days until then. And there are going to be days in your life that are confusing. 
There are going to be days where things happen. You're like, how does this fit in God's plan for my life? And you're going to think this upheaval, this aberration, this strange thing that I can't explain, this is some kind of weird way. No, God's got that too. God says, I want you to know I'm taking care of the last day, but I'm taking care of the days in between too. We serve a Savior who's leading us in a direction, but he's not just telling us how to get there. He's going with us every single day and the things that happen to us. I love Jesus for that and for so many other things. But then in this chapter, you've got to decide. Maybe some of you have been going to Bible class all your life, you've been raised as a little kid, and you've been hearing the stories you know about Jesus, people say. But you know, here's the thing, there comes a time where you've got to decide for yourself what are you going to do with him. I'm convinced by all the teachings of Jesus. I'm convinced by what he did. I'm convinced by the fact that he gives us great assurance. He's the son of God who was sent into the world to save the world. I'm convinced of that. I'll live my life for that until I die. I hope that you will too. But there are other people who have to decide for themselves. Is that who he really is? Is that really him? eBay a few years ago started this new feature. I was so glad because I was burned before. I don't know if you've done much on eBay, but I've got my own little colored star by my name. I'm one of those really special buyers, right? I mean, if I don't bid on a couple months, they send me an email saying, hey, we miss you. They, they know me, y'all. They know me. And they send me these. Anyway, so I'm on eBay. A lot, and I used to be, when it first started, it was really fascinating. And I would bid on something, and I would have it for a whole week. I thought, I got this made in the last five minutes that this thing was on for bid, somebody else jumped in and took it. I had it for a whole week, and some snotty-nosed brat in the last one minute of the auction rushes in there and takes it. It may have been some of you. I don't know. This was a year ago. Now, after this, after I complained about that, because I had my star, and I could go and I could email them anytime I wanted to, and so I, I would complain about it. They came out with a feature. I bet it was because of me. They came up with a feature, and it's like this. You put in your maximum bid, and they will continue bidding incrementally as other people bid. They will make that bid go up until it's beyond what you want to give. But until then, it will bid for you. You don't have to be there. You don't have to be watching it. You're not going to lose it. If you lose it, it's because it was more than you wanted to give for it. What an amazing feature. So the first time I got to try was on a sermon book. I know, there's lots of people bidding on sermon books on eBay. And this is an old sermon book. The guy's dead now. His name is Joe Laird. I have no idea. I've never met him. I don't know anything about him except one thing. His father was the preacher in Hawkeye, Missouri, who came down in 1911 to Kennett, Missouri, set up a tent meeting, and out of that meeting started the church. preached for him until 1922. And so I was doing all this history for Kennett at that time, and I thought, here is a book written by the son, and it's advertised this way. There's one full sermon by his father in there, a sermon that I know he preached in at some time, and I thought, I got to have that book. So I put $20 as my top bid. The starting bid was two, and I got it for two because nobody else wanted this book, right? But, but I, I had the comfort of knowing if somebody started bidding that up a little bit, I'm, I'm okay. It's on that feature. How much do you want? But then you got to decide, right? Then you've got to decide, what is the absolute most I will give for something? If it went up a dollar more, I'm not willing to go. What's the absolute most? How do you decide that? 
in this chapter, as Jesus is starting this, th- these moments in this last week of his life that's going to lead to the cross, there are some people who are showing what their bids are. Even as Jesus is talking to his disciples, there's another meeting going on. If you'll look at verse 3, the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace, the home of the high priest. This was not an official gathering. This is not an official place where they meet. This is in the high priest's house. That's in his private dwelling. They're not doing something where they keep records and parliamentary procedures and where, where they have these records that, that note what they're voting on. No, no, this is a private discussion. And what are they saying? We've got to get rid of Jesus. Not only do we not want to listen to him, we don't want anybody else to either. These chief priests and these elders of the people were losing their credibility. They were trying to attack Jesus. They were trying to neutralize him, discredit him, humiliate him. And every time they tried, they failed. And the people kept going to listen to Jesus, and the popularity was getting higher, and theirs was getting lower. They do not want Jesus around, not just for their own sake, but for everybody else. And so what are they trying to do? They're trying to eliminate him. There are lots of people in this world that would love nothing more than to rid this world of all influence of Jesus. It's never going to happen but they would love to, certainly for their own lives. Now, there's nobody in here of this party. There's nobody in here of this. So I'm not talking to anybody in here, but we are talking about a world where there's lots of people like this. I don't want him to be an influence in my life. I don't want him meddling in my life. I would just assume him be out of the world. And that's one choice. I don't want to bid anything on him. I want him out. But other people felt differently. There's one line. When Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper... Nobody knows who Simon the leper was, but I'm going to give you a couple of guesses that I think are pretty right. I'm going to speculate just a little bit. Number one is, he used to be a leper, he isn't anymore. Because if you're a leper and you send out invitations to your house for a meal, there is nobody going to come eat at your house. If you have the worst case of the flu of your life, but you decide, I'm going to invite people over my house for a meal, most people with any common sense are going to say to you, no thanks until you're healed, right? This leper is no longer a leper, but he was so famous as a leper that he keeps the name as leper, even though he no longer is one. So it's Simon the leper inviting Jesus over his house. I'm also going to assume that there's a reason why he's not a leper. What do you think is the reason he's no longer a leper? He met Jesus, right? He's a leper. He meets Jesus, no longer a leper, but he's still got the name. And yet, out of gratitude, Jesus has healed him of this leprosy that could have cost him his life. And out of gratitude, he wants to invite Jesus over. Every time you open your house, because you're a Christian, you are opening up your house or showing hospitality because of what Jesus has done for you. I, saw, I heard a guy at Harding talking about this the other day. He says we need to be foster parents because uh, we're, that's a demonstration of people of, of what God has done for them. And I'm thinking, how does that work? And he says, because people need to say to those kids coming here, you know why I'm inviting you into my house? Do you know why I'm letting you be part of my life? Because I believe in Jesus and Jesus wants me loving you. I think that's true. I think this man opens up his house and lets not not only Jesus, but all his disciples in the last week of Jesus' life, when time is of the essence, he stops and has a meal at Simon the leper's house. And we find out in Hebrews chapter 13 that this kind of hospitality is a loving gesture of believers toward one another. 
It's brotherly love. We find out in Romans chapter 12, it's a grace being shown. It's motivated by the Holy Spirit. First Peter chapter 4 says, as the final days get closer and tension gets higher for God's people, it's more and more important for us to be hospitable to one another. There is a cost to hospitality. It's going to cost you the meal that you serve. It's going to cost you the time to get ready. And if you're the ones like me, like Melissa says, let's just serve the regular Dishes, no, 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 because we, we got this, you know, dear, when you first got, when we got married, I bought this, that, you know, how you register for China, China that you'll never use. How many of you have China that you never use? That's a lot of you, right? Because, well, you don't want to break it all out. It's all the fancy stuff. Listen, if you got it, and I got it for our, our, our wedding, right? I, I made sure we completed this China set. I need to use it. We need to use it for somebody, and it doesn't have to be the president of the United States. It could just be like, Gary James. That's all it has to be. And I just break out the china, right? Every time you do, every time you do, little pieces will be chipped off the china. You'll put it in the dishwasher and you shouldn't. I don't know. But you'll have little chips and stuff. And you're like, man, this fine china. It's chipping. And it chipped because, and I remember one. One time we had Letha Beck, which is Aaron Beck's grandmother over, and she broke one of our, our glasses. Did you know there? You didn't know that, did you? She broke one of our glasses. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And we're like, it's all right. It really wasn't. It annoyed me. But I, but, it, but I say it. I say the nice stuff because that's what you're supposed to say to make them feel better. But inside I was like, you know what? That's what hospitality, it is going to be annoying. It's going to be a little bit frustrating. There's one thing that makes it appropriate. Given what Jesus has done for you, it ain't no big deal. That's what you do. And church, I want to say to Valleyview, open up your homes and have people in more. Invite people into your lives more. Share your life more. It's a perfectly appropriate response to what Jesus has done for us. Practical, real. But that's not the only one. There's also this unnamed woman. And Matthew doesn't name her. But notice what she does. A woman came up to him. I don't know if she was invited or if she barged in, but she comes up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. This is not from Walmart. This isn't even from Dillard's. This is, this is big stuff. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. This seems so odd to us, but Jesus, talking at another feast in Luke 7, says that often when he enters a home, someone puts oil on his head. Now, that day Simon didn't, but most people did when he came over. So it wasn't unusual to put a little oil on somebody's head, but this is over the top. This is extravagant. This is more oil than you're used to and more expensive oil than you're used to. And she pours it on his head. When the disciples saw it, they were all mad. Why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Today we might say, we could pay off part of the building, or we could pay the resident minister for a long time. I don't know, there's other things we could have done. But i got to say, if I were there that day, I would be this voice. This is so impractical. This is so wasteful to me. But then I'd be the one reprimanded, because Jesus reprimands them, just like he did with the children and every time else. For she was... Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You always have the poor with you, won't always have me. And pouring the ointment on my body, she's done it to prepare me for burial. And I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Can I tell you how significant? 
against this one, significant this one. Jesus says, every time you tell somebody about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I want you to tell them about this woman. Doesn't even tell her name. The name's not important. What she does is important. And everywhere you go, I want you talking about what this woman, that's crazy, y'all. What kind of thing, how can that be all that central? It's just interesting. Disciples go crazy about this. They think of all the things that could have been done with it, but Jesus defends her. Jesus defends her by saying, you know what? She's preparing me for burial. If you recall, when Jesus dies later on, they don't have time to do all that they normally do to a body to get it prepared for burial. And in fact, the women take the spices that they would usually do for that, and they bring it on Sunday morning to do it posthumously. But you can no longer do that when the dead person's now alive, can you? You just can't do it. And so Jesus was buried without anointing, except if you count this. But I think the woman knew that. How would the woman even know that? The interesting thing is this ointment is called muron, which is myrrh. Myrrh. Have you heard of myrrh before? All those people who bring gifts to this Jesus who's now king of kings, right? And they bring it to him as he's born, bring frankincense, gold, and myrrh. It's, it's a gift appropriate for a king. I think what this woman is doing is she's saying, he's so precious to me. He is my king. I want to anoint him king. And Jesus says, I will be king, but only after I die. I'm going to have to die to be that king for you. And so this is a beautiful example and expression of this. And, and Jesus is impressed. And the ointment smell fills the room. And he, for a moment, just takes a good smell of that and finds himself delighted, despite all the other debate that goes on in the room. Why would this woman do that? According to the other gospel accounts, this woman is Mary. Mary's brother was raised from the dead. I kind of think she feels a sense of indebtedness. Mary is one uniquely in the Gospels in tune with Jesus at his feet while he teaches, wants to absorb everything, and even says, unlike any of the male followers, you are the resurrection and the life. Mary is this special woman and knows what Jesus has done for her. And this is not too much, y'all. This is not too much of a response. This is not over the top to her. Given what he's done for her, this is right in line with what she should do in response. But then there's another response, and it's the last couple of verses. One of those in that meeting, in that house, in that feast with Simon the leper is so turned off by what he sees in that meeting, his name is Judas, that he goes to the chief priests and he says, what will you give me if I deliver him over? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, an Old Testament price put on an incapacitated servant. Doesn't take much for Judas to give him up, does it? Must not have been worth much to him anymore. And yet he's the one who's been saved by him before. He's been saved in storms. He's seen amazing things. He knows what Jesus can do, and yet his greed or maybe his impatience with Jesus, I don't know, cause him to decide to hand him over at a very low bid. He's just not worth much to Judas. Jesus is impressive to me. You come here today not 
Not for the song leader, not for the preacher. You come here today because of a God who's done everything for you, culminating in sacrificing his son for your sins. At the beginning of this, the first words Jesus said is, you know, after a couple days of Passover is coming, the Son of Man will be delivered to be crucified. Jesus was going to pay the ultimate price for these folks. They don't know that yet, but they're going to see it. But Jesus is impressive to me, but apparently he's not that impressive to everyone. We gather here on the first day of the week, and we wouldn't miss the Lord's table for anything. But there are other people who would treat it with such light, casual contempt. What determines whether somebody is going to offer Jesus their life and obey him, or whether they're just going to look at him and just kind of casual disregard dismiss him? What determines how valuable he is to you? What are you willing to give? What's too much? What's too extravagant? For some people, for some people getting up on Sunday mornings too much. Really, it is. And the fact that you would have to give up some of your money uh, as, as part of your following, that's just too much. Some people say, well, you, you, you get, I'll give you an hour to worship, but you go 10 minutes beyond that, and, and I'm out of here, and, and that's too much. And then you have People saying, if you start messing with my sexual life or my gender identity, that's too much. If you start controlling or trying to control what words I say or what I do with my anger, or if you want to tell me how to parent, or if you want to tell me that I have to stay with my husband when I'm frustrated with it, if you say that, you're beyond what I'm willing to give. How much is he worth to you and how do you decide? The religious leaders looked at him and said, he costs us too much. Our entire careers are in jeopardy if he stays here. We've got to get rid of him, and so they eliminate him. But for these people like Simon, whose life was changed, and this woman whose life was changed, they were willing to give great things to him. And Judas was at one time, but he lost sight of it, and no longer is he worth it. And for some people, they start out strong, and they start out, but after a while, after giving up a little bit and a little bit, and it sees, they see what all he's going to do and how far into their lives he's going to reach, they decide no more. But I want you to know, while these people are willing to open up their homes to let him in and even give up extravagant, costly ointment, to have him in their lives, later on, after what they realize Jesus does in the next coming days, dying for them, offering the sacrifice, not offering a sacrifice, offering himself as a sacrifice so that their sins would be atoned for and they would never face the consequences of their sins eternally, they were willing to give their entire lives for him because they know what he'd done. The strongest sense in each of us is the olfactory sense, the sense of smell. It is the most, it is the strongest scent, strongest sense when it comes to memory. You can have a widow who lost her husband 10 years ago and she can still go back in a closet and get an old shirt of his and she can hold it up to her nose and smell and she can remember him and see his face. It's an amazing sense attached to incredible memory. We had a devotional one time of a guy who had the, his, his vocal cords had cancer and he had to take them out. He had to use that little mechanical thing as you've probably heard somebody talk through before. And he was doing this devotional. You could barely hear him sometimes, but not only did it take his voice, it took his sense of smell, which affects taste too. 
Imagine walking into a room where spaghetti is being cooked. Now, I just said spaghetti and sauce. How many can smell spaghetti and sauce right now? Just by me saying, you're hungry, aren't you? He could walk in that room and he could no longer smell it. I would hate that. The smells are just part of life, and it's also part of taste. That would be terrible. But let me try something. I'm going to say a couple of scents, and I want to see if you, you can call up the smell even right now. You're driving along the road, and somebody's just hit a skunk, and it is so strong. I mean, do you know what it's like? It's so strong you taste it in your mouth. You, have you ever been there? Now, I've just ruined your lunch now, right? Okay, so you can stay with me. for. How many of you right now can smell a skunk? Can anybody smell one? Seriously. Can you sell it just by memory? You could just tell me, and I know what it smells like. How about this? This one really drove Daryl Daryl uh, Hyde crazy. Um, how many, I, this only happened a few times in my childhood because I hated them, salmon patties. Can anybody smell them right now? They're nasty smelling. Now, you may love the taste, but you've got to admit, liver and onions just, now, here's one. Can you smell a rose? Can you smell, can you smell your grandmother's apple pie? Can you smell it? I can smell it. I haven't tasted it in a long, long time, but I can smell it. I can smell chocolate chip cookies right now. And you're saying, shut up, preacher. The other accounts of this story say that the aroma did fill the room. The Old Testament accounts of a sacrifice in the Old Testament and it involved you raising this animal, and it had to be perfect and unblemished, and you've cared for this animal, and then you bring it, and they do some kind of slaughter, and then they burn it, and you smell the burning flesh of an animal and the hair and all that. And i got to tell you, that smells awful, but do you know how God described it in the Old Testament? God smelled a sweet-smelling aroma. How in the world... Does that produce a sweet-smelling aroma? And I'm convinced God looks down on it, and he sees the worshiper fully engaged. And, and, and out of a response to what God has wanted, he brings something that's his and that's valued, and he gives it up and has it completely consumed out of obedience to himself. And God takes such delight in that whole thing that he says, mm, that smells good. What he says to this woman is you have done a beautiful thing. And the Greek really means you've done a good work. It's a beautiful thing that you've done to me. And everywhere the gospel's ever preached, I want this told. Why? Because part of the gospel and the wonder of it is our response. Our response needs to be as extravagant as the gift God gave. And when people hear what God has done, church, when people hear what God has done, it deserves an extravagant response. It deserves some kind of response from us. And it's not too much what he asks. And what, he, what we should give should not be done resentfully. So what is he worth to you then? Some people want to get rid of him. 
Some people want to just, well, a little bit, but then if it's too much, I'm out of here. And then you've got some who say, I'll open up my home, and some that say, I will spend extravagantly to keep him. I will do good works at every turn. Can I tell you what it should be? I hope every one of you, like those I've talked about at the beginning of this lesson, you go to the NICU or, or you're a school teacher, and you're the only person who loves God at all, who seems to have their life in some sense of order that those kids see all day. Be a good reflection and do a good work come Monday for God. Don't just leave it here. Take that faith with you and do it well. If you're a doctor, do it well. If you work on computers, do it well and be a good work and response to what Jesus has done for you. No matter what your occupation is, it is a ministry because you're reflecting on the God who bought you. And when you do that, when you do a good work, God goes... Woo, you smell so good. I don't, why don't you try to make God say that? This week, your goal is this. To live in such a way that God just takes a good and smiles in delight and says, Ooh, that smells good. What is he worth to you? What's he worth? Are you giving it? Has it been too much and you realize, you know what, I, I have not valued him like I should and I have not responded to him. You can change that this minute. Change your bid right now. And if you've never given your life to him, now's a good time to do it. You in front of these people say the name of Jesus from your lips. That excellent, extravagant gift God gave. Say the name of Jesus from your lips as Lord and be immersed in the waters. That is a response. That's an extravagant response. That's a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And then live your life full of responses that are appropriate Smell good this week, church, as we stand and as we sing to encourage you. Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall, friendless, forsaken, betrayed by all. Hearken what meaneth the sudden call. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus, my friend? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, O oh friend, what will he do with me? Will you evade him as Pilate tried? Or will you choose him whatever betide? Vainly you struggle from him to hide. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus, my friend? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, O oh friend, what will he do with me? Jesus, I give thee my heart today. Jesus, I'll follow thee all the way. Gladly obeying thee will you say, this will I do with Jesus. 
What will you do with Jesus, my friend? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, oh friend, what will he do with me? Our final song will be there as a habitation. Paul, I think I had one, two, and four. Let's just do one and four, and then we'll have a quick announcement in our shepherd's prayer. <clears throat> there is a habitation built by the living God for all of every nation who seek that grand abode. O Zion, Zion, I long thy gates to see. O Zion, Zion, when shall I dwell in thee? Within its pearly portals, angelic army sing with glorified immortals the praises of its king 